Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The Washington Commanders' first real test came against Jalen Hurts and the Red Hot Eagles in their first NFC East matchup of the year. And if this was a test, they certainly failed. There has been no repeat NFC East champion since 2004, but it looks like the Eagles are turning towards breaking that as the Commanders fell 24-8. to Only the second time in NFL history has ever been that score and dropped to 1-2 and as the Eagles move to 3-0. and you got the Commanders getting booed at their own home stadium, getting sent back from whence they came and welcome to the week three post-game edition of the Silence Washington podcast. I'm your host and head of, of NFL operations here, Parker Hamlet. If you're listening to us in the audio realm, whether it be Apple, Spotify, Google Pods, doesn't matter. Pick your poison. Make sure you guys subscribe. Leave us a rating and a review. And if the review, drop an emoji. Doesn't matter. Uh, going to move up those charts, guys. So just drop, drop it below. If you're watching us on YouTube uh, to sit here and revel in our misery, Make sure you guys subscribe and click the bell to turn on notifications uh, to be uh, notified when the latest with Silence Washington drops. Obviously, we got exclusive YouTube content throughout the year as well. And as always, we are brought to you by our sponsor today, Prize Picks. Make sure you use promo code SSNWFT for a 100% instant deposit bonus match. Download the free Prize Picks app today and get started. That's SSNWFT is the promo code. Take advantage of our limited time offer with our sponsor, Prize Picks. I want to thank them for supporting the show. Today, joining me for our post game is a very special guest, a recurring guest, uh, one of the best in the business. Uh, he's the host of the Trapper Dive podcast. He's a Hog Havens contributor. I mean, one of the busiest guys I know, but he's always putting out quality content. Mr. Jamal. Forrest, uh, Jamal, I, I just got to say, I, I feel like the theme of the game today and, and what we're going to talk about a lot is just this team's inability to keep the quarterback clean in this game. I feel like that's the overarching theme of the game here. Nine sacks, all-time record was 14, and there was one point in the game, Jamal, where I really thought that was going to be a possibility for this Philadelphia organization team. Uh, nine is still the most in a season uh, or in a game this season by two. Uh, this is the most Wentz had been hit since 2020 when he was ironically playing for the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, you know, everybody meeting the quarterback seemed to be the theme for this Philadelphia defensive line. We kind of slandered them a little bit on the show leading into this. I uh, felt like they weren't exactly that unit they were from 2017. Uh, they must have heard it. Uh, the Eagles had accumulated Wentz's sack total from last week in Detroit by the end of the first quarter. They were the first NFL team that accumulated four, six, four sacks in one quarter since Washington and Miami back in 2019. 30 years since the Eagles have done something like this. We even had negative 12 passing yards in the first quarter. Maul, I, I got to ask, you know, we leading into this, we, we talked about the history between these two teams, the body bag game, the Monday night massacre. What would you call this game? Man, 
that's a hard question. I'll call it a thorough beatdown. I don't. I don't know. I don't. I wish I could give you like some uh, extravagant name for this, but I mean, the the it's a it was just a thorough beatdown from a team that was, um, to be honest with you, a team that really gave you opportunities to stay stay in it as 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 often as you could on the offensive side of the football and uh, defensively, a, a team that. For for Washington, a, a team that really gave gave you ample opportunities to to stay in it too. Like they were fighting hard, even when they went down twenty four nothing third quarter. They're still forcing three and outs. They're forcing punts. I mean, a second half shutout. You know, it is what it is. Uh, but altogether, <laughs> you're talking about a team in Washington who held Philadelphia to ten points with just under three minutes left to go in the second quarter. Uh, so, like when you're talking about a thorough beatdown from a, a, a an offense. For an offense who who looked so inept, so unprepared, they looked like uh, this was a a, a, NF, a version of what an NFL team would look like if they played against Alabama. Like <laughs> Alabama, like you know they had those arguments, but in reality, a pro team versus an NFL for any college team, the best college team would still look like fools. And Washington was that college football team that really couldn't get anything going and, and looked so unprepared, at least on one side of the football. The offense, and and, and to be honest with you, I'm not too surprised. And I guess we'll get into it, but from a, a macro standpoint, it, there are larger things and, and larger concerns. But I'm not too surprised. But but ultimately, uh, the the defensive side of the football that really fought hard and responded against uh, after a, a very negative game against the Detroit Lions, it, it's, it's a sad showing altogether. Especially with the effort that they put forth, uh, and, and their offense couldn't do a damn thing for them. Uh, that is the best way to encapsulate this game in, in a very brief stint. Uh, that's why you're one of the best. But I, I, I got to say, you know, I, 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 me and Deuce were talking about it on a preview pod. I said this will be the week that the defense comes out and plays hard and the offense just lays an absolute egg. It always seems there's, there's never that good old-fashioned complimentary football when it comes to the Washington Commanders or just in the nation's capital in general. And, you know, obviously we expected a, a big game environment for this. We knew the Eagles fans were going to come out. I mean, it was an absolute takeover at FedEx. You had them on their pregame saying – this is the best attendance they've had in the last five years. You had our own team getting booed at home. And it was just a a, a party for this Eagles defensive line. And, you know, I, it, where the finger goes and, and who the blame game goes on is a whole other conversation in and of itself. And we're, and we're definitely going to delve into that. But, I mean, Jordan Davis getting his first NFL sack. Jerron Hargrave getting his first sack of the year. Even Fletcher Cox got in on the party. 17 quarterback hits Brandon Graham told Carson Wentz hope you have a great year all year except for today Ron Rivera says that this was a combination post game of Wentz and the O-line um, he also said uh, of course a very captivating quote which is seems to be a trend with Ron the last couple weeks I think Carson could have played better I feel like overall, you know, as an organization, as a football team in general, they were outclassed and they were outcoached. And that's why there's almost a little bit of calmality with me after the game, because I, I, I kind of expected things to go like this, maybe to not this degree. But what is the main? Obviously, I feel like you're going to lean towards the offense. But what what is the main issue you would attribute to this embarrassing loss at home? It can be it can be in the coaching staff. It can be on the field it can be a specific player. What, what, what's the number one thing on your list? Uh, I mean, the number one thing is coaching uh, for me. Uh, and like I had a conversation with uh, someone yesterday where, you know, I, I ranked like my three issues. It came from Scott Turner, uh, Carson Wentz and the offensive line. And if I had to rank them, I would rank it Scott Turner, Carson Wentz and then the offensive line, like the offensive line came third. Uh, like obviously they had their they had their struggles and that shouldn't go unnoticed. 
But when you're talking about, and I'll go from backwards to, to number one, uh, but it, like obviously they have their issues and, and clearly they were struggling. Like Andrew Norwell, uh, 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 Trey Turner, these guys, <laughs> guys who Brian brought in um, because they have familiarity with them. My question is, as I continue to think about the, the idea of, and why they brought Trey Turner and, and Andrew Norwell, they, like, did they do, did they use their scouting reports from 2017 to bring these guys in? Like, did they not bring in an updated scouting report on, on who these players were heading into 2022? Because I feel like uh, what they did was bring in some guys who they were familiar with, they had some history of, and was like, oh, I remember that guy being good. Let's bring him in. Sign him. Don't even worry about the scouting report. Don't, don't worry about what he looked like last year. Uh, I don't even know if he looked good. We're just going to bring him in. Uh, but they did that to replace, obviously, Eric Flowers and uh, Brandon Sheriff and and obviously Chase Ruye was coming back from his injury. Uh, I, I just think when you when you bring in those two guys, you're going to see them struggle and uh, they're starting to see it early on. They're not playing with good leverage. Sometimes they're they're not handling power rushes well. Uh, sometimes they're, they're they're not that good in the run game. They're taking bad angles. They're not that quick um, off the off the snap. So you're going to run into these issues. But with that being said, of course they were a problem, but they shouldn't be the number one issue. Like your your coordinator and your quarterback knows that, but also the person who made that decision in Ron Rivera and, and his his GMs and all them, they knew what Norwell and Turner brings to the table. So obviously it's not ideal to have all both of those guys out because you know West West Weisher was hurt at one point. Obviously Chase Ruey gets hurt and he's possibly out for the season. So that that is what it is. But now you focus on Carson Wentz. How do you help out your offensive line? Like you have to find a way when you when you get sacked nine times, all nine are on are on the offensive line. Like there were two of the five of the six. To be honest with you, it was probably a little bit more than that. I have to like I had four. Four is what I, had I to, honestly narrowed it down to. I had to fully dive. So no, to so let to, to let me be clear, because uh, because I, I did cut myself off. <laughs> I looked at the first. I looked at the first six or so the six in the first half. I didn't look at all nine yet. Um. So. Uh, I, I I really like to when I when I talk about some things I like to make sure that I I dive into the film so like I haven't even got to the full nine yet so I say two or three of the first six that I looked at where Carson Wentz had opportunity to help his offensive lineman out and you said you had four four or total is probably what I would four total down. yeah that's so a brief glance I'm not I'm not going into yeah. a small level breakdown but I mean that was just first glance <laughs> yeah so so and 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 Parker you have four of the nine. And that you charted that uh, Carson Wentz could have helped these guys out. So all together, like, how are you helping out your offensive line? What about the opportunities in which you could have stepped up in the pocket, had a quick dump off, could have slid, uh, felt felt some pressure, slid to your left or to your right? All these things, right? And and, and I'm kind of summarizing it. Like, I'm not going line by line, sack by sack. But like, how do you help out your offensive line? And and I say that to say that there was opportunity on some occasions for Carson Wentz to help his offensive line out. One in particular that I will give is that you know we beg. Scott Turner, and we'll get into Scott Turner about how you can really improve uh, this offense in the first half of games and how you can really find your weapons in the first half of games. And Scott Turner dials up a beauty in man coverage. We have Scott uh, Terry McLaurin isolated on the left side of the field, like the boundary side, the shortest side of the field, and it's one-on-one coverage with Darius Slay, and Darius Slay is playing 10 yards off the ball. And Carson Wentz's first stop, first drop when he goes when he goes back is to his right, and then he checks to Terry McLaurin on the man side. And by the time he's getting ready to throw the, 
throw the ball. Uh, Darius Slay is crashing one of the fastest corners on in the league. Has already covered that up. He's already he's already breaking on it. So at the point in which you had opportunity for for Terry McLaurin when he runs his slant and stops essentially like a spot route, when he has that opportunity, it's open as soon as the play is there. Like as soon as the snap, it should be out in two seconds. But uh, Carson Wentz pumps fakes because he's too late on, the, on on his read and ultimately gets sacked from behind. So all of these, how are you helping your offensive line out? Are you getting the ball out quicker? That was one opportunity. You didn't do it. And now you go to Scott Turner, the third level, and why this was coaching a coaching failure altogether. Um, look, run the football. Uh, there, there was there was opportunities in the first half again uh, where we talked about it already. Ten minutes, I mean, uh, ten ten point lead for Philadelphia with just under three minutes to go in the first half, and you're still in it. You're still trying to run the football. You're averaging nearly five yards a carry with Antonio Gibson, four point eight exactly. And you continue to stray away from the run game when you have shown life on the ground with JD McKissick and JD McKissick, Jonathan Williams, and Antonio Gibson, and you decide to keep dropping uh, Scott. I mean Char- Carson Wentz back in opportunities and situations that Philly is expecting it. It's a coaching failure, man. And and you continue to do it to the point in which he got sacked six times in the first half. It was it? I think 47 attempts last year, or excuse me, last week for Carson Wentz. I feel like week one, I feel like that was, I, I felt like Antonio Gibson was a well that they could have went to often and they just didn't. And obviously there was a ball security issues kind of leaking in from the summertime. But at the end of the day, this is your guy. I mean, this guy got plenty of touches last year. He, he had a thousand yard season. He should be able to handle that workload. You're only a couple weeks now away from possibly getting Brian Robinson Jr. back, which is obviously a huge storyline. One probably the only positives out of the day. But I mean, if I was ranking the commander's issues as well, I completely agree with you 100% in the order of what you said. I feel like obviously a lot of people, it's low hanging fruit, are going to blame the offensive line just based off the sack total. But one of the biggest issues about Carson Wentz in Indianapolis last year, one that I've talked about at ad nauseum on the show, is that he just has an inability to get the ball out of his hands when he's supposed to, when it's scripted. When when you talked about Terry getting that isolation, that the ball should have already been out of Carson's hands within just a few seconds. But, you know, the, the Philadelphia DBs all day really were able to break on these passes because of how late the ball was coming. I think about that Logan Thomas rep, I think near the end, end of the middle of the game, Johnny Gardner Johnson broke on Logan Thomas. I mean, he got plenty of separation, but I mean, it's just a reoccurring theme. And then the offensive line, these guys are old, slow, and they play like they're hurt at the end of the day. Andrew Norwell, like you said, if you're using that 2017 scouting report, I guess he looks like a great signing. Same with Trey Turner. I've, I've talked to plenty of people from Pittsburgh that said that, you know, you guys are, are, aren't getting much of a contributor in Trey Turner. I mean, the guy didn't practice most of the summer either. So I wasn't really expecting much from Trey. Andrew, I mean, Sometimes he's getting his ass kicked so bad that he's just got to start just putting his hands in people's face. I mean, it's it. There was some sloppy penalties in week one. I think he got a couple hands in the face penalties where he was just getting absolutely overwhelmed. And God forbid, don't stunt these guys because they will not be able to handle it in any way, shape, or form. So that's another thing that I feel like this interior of this offensive line is getting just absolutely outworked. Then you go to the outside. You got Charles Leno struggling. I mean, you Sam Cosme's already not playing clean and already looks like he's banged up as it is don't have much of an uh, update on him but I mean speaking of injuries you go into this game without Daniel Wise Casey Tuhill Chris Paul Sam Howell's obviously not going to dress Cole Turner Jason Williams and then William Jackson the third which was kind of a late second scratch I think Saturday is kind of when we felt uh found out about that but Ron Rivera and I'm really glad you really honed in on one thing coaching is the number one takeaway uh, from this just absolute throttling from the Philadelphia Eagles, in my opinion. I mean, you know, and, and, and I, one one particular instance that really pops in my head is that huge Devontae Smith 45-yard gain. You're late to throw the challenge flag. 
I mean, I, I can understand yeah. where people are like, it's really not that big of a deal, but the NFL is no country for old men anymore. And you just have to be a lot quicker than that, as, as, they, as they say. But, I mean, they went on to put three points on the board, and you talked about how critical the, the defense was early in this game to really keep the commanders in it. Um, you know, and, and, you know, Scott Turner, you mentioned him as well. Deuce from uh, Red Zone was talking on the uh, last episode, said we need to make adjustments drive to drive, not half to half. What were some of the first watch observations as to why this offense is so stagnant? I've already heard you say that obviously that, you know, obviously you need to feed Antonio Gibson the ball. Carson Wentz needs the ball, get the ball out of his hands a lot faster. But you look across and you've got three legit wide receivers in Jahan Dotson, Terry McLaurin, and Curtis Samuel, who have been absolutely lighting the league up the first two weeks. Is there anything in particular you would possibly do with them differently if you were in Scott Turner's shoes, Maul? Um... I mean, it's a really good question. I, I think to, to kind of break it down level by level, at least to help my brain out, <laughs> is to go back to Take the Detroit <laughs> game. Yeah, it's, it's to go back to the Detroit game. Like, Washington has been outscored 46 to nothing in the first half over the past two games. And if you kind of do the math, actually, you know what? That don't even matter because Jacksonville, you know, they, they, they won the second and third quarter, really. So that disregard Jacksonville, but 46 to nothing in the first half of both Philly and Detroit. And when you look at the Detroit game and try to figure out what Scott Turner could have done better is, is how do you handle the pressure that Detroit is sending? Like, you know who Detroit is, like to the level in which I know Detroit, Scott Turner knows and, and that offense who prepares for them knows it 10 times more than I do. Like they know so much and, and I'm just, understanding things on a on a basic level compared to them and i say that to say we all know that detroit is is a heavy they will happily do a cover zero blitz they will happily do cover one disguise blitzes they will happily send six to seven uh, people at the quarterback at one time but how are you handling that as a coordinator scott turner decided to uh for the first half essentially uh keep keep your your max max pro and keep your john bates and keep your your running backs jd mckissick antonio gibson in the block and, and not allow them out on pass routes because you needed to hold up in pass protection well that didn't work out for carson wentz that didn't work out for the offense um and when he did get time carson wentz did um, they missed they missed shot plays. Jahan Dotson streaking wide open in the middle of the field in a cover two a versus cover two defense. He splits both the safeties because uh Washington and Scott Turner dials up a, a really good play um that occupies the strong safety uh to towards the sideline and you have Jahan Dotson streaking in the middle. What does that mean though? Uh now because of the pressure at that at that point in time in the first half, because the pressure is getting to Carson Wentz, he checks it down to Antonio Gibson. So there's a ton of things that 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 affects these guys. But what happened in the second half to this point is that Scott Turner finds out, hey, maybe if I go to empty or maybe if I send my running backs out on routes and I use or I use an empty set and I have a running back at the as a receiver, maybe I can counter this cover zero because it's forcing all these guys on the on the Detroit Lions to cover every single weapon that we have. And I know that they can't do that. And I'm a bet on Carson Wentz finding these guys. He was able to do that. He was able to roll the pocket in the second half. That's where some of the big plays downfield were coming. So the the adjustments were there for Scott Turner and, and that offense to have like in that first half and he refused to do it until the second half like it took him a half time to really figure out that these things were going to uh benefit this offense but also finding Terry in isolation moves as well like when you can isolate the isolation I talked about with um uh Darius Slay like he had that against the, the Detroit Lions and he had a similar look <laughs> this week Carson Wentz at this time doesn't hit it but he hits it the, in a game against Detroit uh so like there are opportunities that Scott Turner is has to do this and 
when you look at the Eagles game with this same ap application of what happened in that first half against Detroit, um, these guys, it, it is not all about like passing or running or or how do you pass and, and find these guys the, the ball? Terry McLaurin, these guys like obviously screens will come into effect, but they're not that good at screens. Um, every time that they run the screen, it's either a, a five or six yard gain, or or it's a bad pass, or you have to, go, or it's an interception. <laughs> like they're not that good at screens right now, unfortunately. And, and what does that mean? I, I don't know. Like how do you fix that? Is it a running back fault? Is it a is it a lineman fault in terms of how they're selling it? I, I don't I don't know. Like I have to ask, I personally have to ask questions to figure that out because um like it shouldn't be that hard to execute screens, especially against pass rushers who are really dialing back and pinning their ears back against Carson Wentz. So um that's one thing. And ultimately when you look at the the whole picture in terms of adjustments and how you can really become a better offense for a full phase of a game, um I, I think that it's going to really add Scott Turner to be less less uh, stubborn in, in terms of like how he prepares for a game and his in his in his approach uh, and finding ways to to really uh, expand his 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 ability to just quicker like from a, a processing standpoint understanding what isn't working like dump it let's let's work on something else let's find other approaches is he capable of doing that and to this point 36 game sample size i don't think he he's shown that he's capable of doing that uh from at least from a week-to-week -week basis he hasn't shown it yeah i mean the adjustments definitely aren't there quarter to quarter not even drive to drive half to half is more so the way you can go about it and i wouldn't say they're they've been drastically great either because i mean all things considered a team like Detroit, who obviously was not afraid to come after Carson Wentz and, and send plenty of pressure, knows that Scott Turner and them are going to give as much protection as humanly possible. You think about Aiden Hutchinson, who mentioned, you know, when you got a guy back there who's not exactly the most mobile, you know, I feel like coming into D.C., there was kind of this thing that Carson kind of had this elite level maneuverability in the pocket and he's kind of been more like a statue the last couple of years as far as I'm concerned and that's something the defenses are exploiting and uh, it definitely was was glaring in this matchup and once they kind of went five wide and stopped kind of babying him in the backfield and giving him all this protection and they were able to kind of open things up a little bit you're right I feel like some better things happened the, the pocket moved different some player some players were getting open but Something that they talked about in the broadcast team as well was like, you know, Carson was playing very sped up. So, I mean, obviously his first look, he's going to go to the running back. And, you know, obviously people want Carson to make that safe play, but this isn't the Detroit Lions. You know, they, this is the Philadelphia Eagles, and this is a good, good, well-coached football team that is not going to let you claw back into a game easily. And I knew that that was a very tall mountain for the commanders to climb in the second half. And the first half, I mean, you know, Philly had 101 yards in the first quarter. Uh, 5.6 yards per play, 322 yards to 56 total yards, 276 passing yards and negative 16 passing yards for the commanders. I mean, 16 to five first downs. Uh, Philly was one of seven on third down, though. Um, but Washington also ran 15 more plays, and I think they won in time of possession. But, I mean, in one half, Jalen Hurst goes 18 for 27, 279 yards, three touchdowns. Devontae Smith goes seven for 156, 22.3 yards per catch and a touchdown. And A.J. Brown goes four for 75, damn near 20 yards of catch and a touchdown as well. Dallas Goddard obviously uh, scored coming right out of the half, but he was questionable uh, to return after, after that. But, I mean, as far as Carson's concerned, just kind of wrap it up, I was not – 
<laughs> I was not satisfied with his performance whatsoever. Um, you know, I felt like the sped up thing was kind of an excuse. You kind of just have to get this offense clicking as a veteran quarterback in the league at some point, and he's got to learn to get rid of the ball. And, you know, something that I noticed as well is like they're taking all these seven step drops with all this pressure and this ineptitude across the offensive line and just and, and just him constantly coughing up the ball. I mean, at halftime, he's three for 10, 24 yards, zero for zero. I feel like he is a very big, I'd say a top three reason. A number two, I think, is definitely fair as to why I, I feel like the commanders just absolutely got embarrassed at home by the Philadelphia Eagles. And Antonio Gibson at the half was six for 35.5.20 yards per carry. Only touchdown in the game coming in garbage time. He only finished with three more yards on six more carries. Jonathan Williams even got some work. So did J.D. McKissick. We already talked about the offensive line and how banged up they were. I've pretty much seen everything I need to see out of them at the end of the day. Scott Turner uh, obviously went heavy, run heavy to start, uh, but obviously things kind of changed. He went 13 rushes, 11 passes early. Uh, the ineptitude run screens was something that I noticed as well. You kind of beat me to that. I, I don't quite know. I, I think it has a lot more to do, Maul, with them kind of when they call them. I mean, it always seems to be on third and long when you don't trust your quarterback to make a big-time throw. And I, I feel like it's just a predictability factor. Uh, and as far as the weapons are concerned for this offense, Curtis Samuel finishes 7 for 48. Jahan Dodson, two receptions for 10 yards. Terry didn't have his first catch until the third quarter. That's also another trend that, that I've been noticing the last couple of games is Terry's not really getting found until pretty late in these contests. Logan Thomas, a non-factor, two for five. Uh, first half, they go 28 plays, a little over 50 yards. Uh, just Philadelphia just absolutely dominated in the first half. So let's kind of gravitate towards the defense here, who I didn't. Definitely feel like deserves less of the blame. Well, I think I I, I do think though because you the the important thing with this whole conversation um, is about decisions. Like to be honest with you, I don't have and, and you you talked about the defense. Obviously, we, it's it's your show, right? And I think like the defense. I say that because like the defense really was a non-issue for me for me i agree no I, and that's the and that's the sentiment i'm going to echo is that i yeah that's the only now, nice pot side of the ball i've got anything to say about at the end of the day yeah. i mean and, and these guys when, when you talk about turner when you talk about wentz and we talk about ron rivera uh the offense like that's why this conversation is alarming because if you think about I think what what really is fool's gold is for for people and, and the reason why i was so hesitant and, and i told you early on like i wasn't surprised that they got off to a slow start against the eagles what was fool's gold for for this team was how they performed against detroit in the second half like sure you put up 20 think about it this way you put up 27 points in one half and when you look at that when you're you put up 27 points in the second half in a game in which you got shut out in the first how likely is it regardless of how explosive your weapons is but how likely is it that they can replicate that any team like i mean outside of the chiefs i give chiefs in in the bills the only team uh the only two teams a, a fighting chance to do it but how likely is it that you can really sit here and say that washington has an explosive offense that is capable of replicating that from quarter one to quarter two and having a 27 point half again well, 14 the points to start half. off the Jacksonville game, and then you don't really get going until the fourth quarter in that game as well. And a lot of missed opportunities for Jacksonville, who's now going off on all cylinders against the Chargers, blowing them out. So, I mean, you've seen inconsistencies those first two weeks, but continue. Yeah, and and, and that's and that's where I'm headed at. Scott Turner, again, we talk about, I, I believe, and I, and I felt this way after looking at the tape, I felt that 
Detroit, that 27-point game, a 27-point half was fool's gold because it now leads people to believe that they are capable of doing that. And if, all these ifs, if you can put this together, that's how explosive this offense is. But I think the thing is, it's a reflection on the coaching staff even further. Uh, and, and it also dawns the point of why Scott Turner uh, should also be in the same range or the same umbrella as Jack Del Rio in terms of not being able to get things done. There was a long conversation heading into the season, Parker, when you sit here and think about, you know, him, him having that three-year extension now, right? And, you know, kudos to him. But when you when you think about it from a, a, a larger standpoint, like what did he do to warrant that? Like, why are you giving him a three-year extension? And he hasn't even played with the new guys that he has. So you're going to tie yourself to Scott Turner for three more years, uh, knowing that he hasn't proved anything. But all, not only that, Ron Rivera made these decisions in the offseason where the the issues, because we're going to talk about the defense, like you said, but the issues that the defense has at this point is because you're struggling at linebacker. Uh, you have a depth issue. You have a skill issue. You have a, a in the secondary. You have a depth issue. You have a skill issue. On the defensive line, you have a depth issue. You got some skill across the, the starting unit. Obviously, Deron Payne, uh, Jonathan Allen, Montez Sweat here and there hit and miss. But you have skill there. But you have a depth issue. And all of these things that you have brought to the table from a head coaching standpoint is the fact that you weren't able to to build up the roster in terms of having having some veteran presence on certain aspects of the, of the team. Exactly. You let some people go because of that quarterback that you brought in, which is understandable, but you still could have retained some of these guys if you attempted to, or you could have got in free agents and found a way to make some money moves and got some veteran guys in. But then you look at Scott Turner, a guy who, for all the pressure that Jack Dorio has had to this point, he's been shut out in two games and he's been shut out in all three games for an extended period of time an extended period of time in which the game was wavering it, it was to the point where you're trailing in all three games and and that's a that's that's the larger conversation for me is for as much as we put the pressure on jack del rio to, to turn things around this offense has everything that they want it's everything that they wanted and you're getting shut out for extended periods of time in all three games that's a problem yeah, I, I look, you're preaching to the choir. When, when he got the extension, you and I both know that there's a very sacred part of this fan base that feels like Scott Turner is another brilliant football mind that's going to eventually leave this building and go be a head coach somewhere else, and we don't need to let that happen. And I can certainly understand kind of the phobia of that with this organization, but at the same time, there's just been no proven track record with a guy like Scott Turner at the end of the day. I've never been high on him. And you had the excuses built in last year. We got a guy who, you know, has zero pocket presence. And, you know, he can extend the play, but he can't make those big-time throws. You go out, you spend $30 million and get your guy. You draft one of the best wide receivers in the first round. You get Logan Thomas back. Uh, you get Brian Robinson Jr. Obviously, you know, you have your multifaceted running backs. Your offensive line, uh, obviously the jury's still out on them. But overall – all your money this offseason goes towards the offense. And you look at this defense, I think, what, 10, 11 starters returning, and you've done nothing but lose inside depth at the defensive line as well. So, I mean, just nothing but losses for the defensive side of the ball. And I feel like when it comes to the pressure being put on Jack Del Rio, I completely agree with you. Just as much needs to be put on Scott Turner, and I feel like that is a very – hot take and I'm glad that you said it because I was actually kind of turning towards that myself because at the end of the day I feel like people don't kind of we, we kind of hear right that you know Ron lets these guys do their thing 
But I feel like a lot of what is going on on the defensive side of the ball is really just built by Ron. Personnel, I, I feel like we'll never really know that much, but a lot of this is attributed to Ron Rivera. And I feel like he deserves to go down with the shift. And I feel like, I like it, like you said, I feel like there should be as much pressure on Scott Turner right now, extension or not, that there is on Jack Del Rio. I mean, you already said it and I already said it. You know, Philadelphia got held at the beginning. It was a little bit of a stalemate. They didn't get their first third down uh, conversion until I think right at the end of the first quarter. Uh, both, te- both teams were very bad on third down to start this game. Hurts was one of five to start, but then Eagles got into really high tempo. Uh, huge chunk plays, which was a big issue against Detroit. He goes four plays for 77 yards. Holcomb and Tony get a nice goal line stop. That was a big momentum killer. But then, you know, just it's all about the misdirection. And, you know, 227 yards to under 50 for Washington through the air. Uh, Devontae Smith, you know, just absolutely killing this secondary. Uh, Philadelphia goes five wide. They hit AJ Brown. The next thing you know, they're up 17 to nothing because this offense just can't put points on the board. They got the Batman capes out. We definitely look like Robin. That's for sure. And, you know, they just kept the pressure coming, man. I mean, you know, this, the, they could easily taken this to the half, right? But then Devontae yeah. Smith catches that 44-yard bomb with less than 20 seconds till halftime. And then they run hurry up and just run a fade. And Devontae just absolutely mosses them. Next thing you know, they're up 24 nothing. This is a team that knew exactly what was coming. They knew that these guys were tired. They knew that this offense was going to be on the field a lot. And it just felt like an absolutely disrespectful end of the half. And I hope that this is a game that Ron Rivera remembers for a very long time. And, you know, obviously they didn't put much up, uh, put up much of a fight in the second half like they did against Detroit. But like you said, that's fool's gold. I mean, F.A. Obata, I mean, you know, forces a sack. No Daniel Wise, he steps up. But, I mean, going to the second half is 323 passing yards at one point to negative one. Punts exchanged. So even the defense I felt played decent at the beginning of the second half. Um, you know, it, it was going to be three to 24, but then they got an unnecessary roughness penalty. Uh, you know, obviously uh, Josh Sweat being the only active uh, guy with the last name Sweat during this game. Washington's pass rush just getting absolutely shut down. And then they run that 17 play drive that leads to absolutely nothing. A tight end screen getting blown up by Avante Maddox, who I definitely owe an apology to. It took Deron Painmall to get the first points for this organization, for this team. Then Hassan Reddick goes down, and you expect, you know, Scott Turner to kind of keep his foot on the gas, keep this offense going, but they never got in rhythm. No, you know, you had guys that were surefire dropping passes. And, you know, they, they kept Carson clean for the most part in the third. He didn't get hit again until the fourth quarter, I think. Terry dropping passes, like I said, but he ends up finishing six for, uh, six for 102, 17 yards per catch. What in Philly's defensive game plan really caught your eye and, why do you feel like they were able to just go out there and play so much more loose and so much more physical? I feel like a, as a community, as content creators, even as a fan base, we really disrespected this unit going into this. But I feel like they are kind of instrumental in some of this team's success. You're saying disrespected the Eagles defense? A lot of people have, man. I mean, that's just been my observation throughout most of the week. Oh, no, I, like I, people... I, I, I was, I was going to say, nah, I, I, if that. It's, it's news to me, not not that you didn't hear it, but I was like, that's that's crazy that, that people thought that. And I guess I'm glad that I'm living in a bubble in a sense because, like, I'm looking at this defense and I'm saying, like, it's just a matter of time till they get things together. Like, that's yeah. the only thing that really hurt these guys is the fact that they didn't have a pass rush and you can run the ball on them. So the, the pass rush wasn't getting home. The pressure wasn't really getting home. So when was it going to happen for them? When was it going to click? And guess what? Unfortunately, it clicked against the Washington Commanders, um, and, and they weren't able to 
they meaning the the commanders weren't able to do anything against a, a front four uh in in watch i mean excuse me in philadelphia and, and when you talk about their game plan um i don't know i think that the biggest thing really starts with that front four like you're not if you're not able to to really pass protect and, and hold up against uh philadelphia or any team in the trenches then you're you don't you're not going to have much of a game plan there's at a lot all. of four-man rushes mall and that's yeah, on the thing. offensive side of the football so like yeah when you're having that good of a rush then ultimately what you can do and if you're good at disguising your guys excuse me disguising your coverages then ultimately what you could do you have that seven those seven people in the in the secondary covering and that's really hard for anybody like some you don't always get that sometimes you have to send a fifth man uh to the quarterback sometimes you have to send a sixth man and they didn't have to do that they really didn't have to do that the entire game so in terms of their game plan it started up front they were dominating uh and we talked about the interior guards but when you expand leno cosme they had a day they they had issues against brandon graham uh josh sweat uh and then sometimes they i think they had matchups against fletcher cox too but i haven't really i only looked right now to this point that we're recording i only looked at the sacks i wanted to take those out of the way first so i can continue on throughout the game but um i'm i'm imagining they like the, the tackles had matchups against fletcher cox as well too but my point in that is like trenches is really what started it uh but they did have some sound coverage on the backside too on some of these plays that uh weren't necessarily sacks either so how was washington reacting and uh, to be honest with you they seemed flustered from the the carson Wentz standpoint from scott turner like one of the screen calls that you called right the tight end screen um actually was it a tight end screen that i'm thinking of it was like a third and 10 or a third and 15. and i think they ran a screen washington did to like terry either terry mclaurin or curtis samuel and it was blown up at the line of scrimmage and this was one of the first attempts that they ran a screen when we were talking about how how scott should have changed it up whether through the run game or a pass game some quick passes and things like that in the one instance and when you really only have a screen as your only option Philadelphia sitting on it <laughs> and that's how you get a, a zero a zero to two to two to three yard gain if they can tackle so ultimately what Philly did it started with their front four and 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 then when you can keep that front four uh pressuring the quarterback you can keep that seven on the backside to really uh keep everything from from going deep so uh credit to them man and, and that's another thing too when we had this conversation you started it Parker uh to to, to begin the show like Philly is a good team and, and Philly is, is is a really really good from from both sides of the football, uh, but ultimately, like when you have a conversation about who Philly is, uh, they knew Washington just as much as Washington knew them. And this is the second year with Nick Sirianni. Like everything that you have is not too unfamiliar <laughs> with with the opponent. Like you have the same amount of information as uh, as they have on you. So how do you kind of respond in a divisional game? That's a big spot. And, and and for unfortunately for for Washington, it's not about the opponent. It's how you play. Like you showed no fight, and you showed uh, you know you showed no fight on one side of the football. <laughs> let's let's be fair. You showed no fight on one side of the football, and you completely embarrassed yourself at home. And what's really killing me, Parker? I've been so distracted by your background because uh, I'm sitting here thinking it, it's an Eagles game, that and green? I that, I remember I, I yeah that I saw the picture. I was like, hold on, because I remember the the, the, the skins fan. I, I remember his face. Like, he looked so mad. I was like, oh, wait, that's FedEx. Like, <laughs> dude, yeah, yeah, I didn't so, get a chance. The, pe the people that yeah. are watching or people that are listening, excuse me, this is this is all the green that was at FedEx Field on Sunday. I mean, you, you hardly see any burgundy throughout all this. And those are the people that I really feel bad for because 
you you expected this team to at least show up in some capacity. You talk about the film familiarity between the two teams, and obviously this is a very big game for Carson Wentz as well, uh, returning to play against his old team. And you know they know this guy inside and out. I mean, I've I heard multiple media, multiple media members kind of just talking about how uh, the Philadelphia guys just kind of looking over at the Washington guys, like, yeah, first time, huh? A- a- anytime something was happening with Wentz and in, in any negative capacity. But I mean, you know, it's just uh, embarrassing is really the best way to put it all. And I, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I mean, no, you it, it's, as far as like some of the positives, I, I very much agree with you. People are going to want to rip this defense apart, but there are some things to take out of this. Um, I feel like that the commanders were very thin at corner. Kendall Fuller in the planes, all 64 snaps yesterday. Uh, he was targeted 11 times. Uh, he did give up a lot of yardage, but I mean, and, and Jalen did have a damn near perfect quarterback rating on him. Uh, rough day for him, but I, I, if there's a person that I was impressed with, it was Benjamin St. Juice. I know that's somebody you're very high on, somebody I'm very high on. Uh, finished, I think, is one of pretty much the highest graded, if not the highest graded commander yesterday. He allowed only three catches on nine targets, broke up two passes. He was outside 56 of his 64 snaps, and he was in the slot only six times because William Jackson was out. So kind of interesting to see how he flourished and how he matched up against some top-tier wide receivers in Philadelphia with Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown, who are both very good at football. Uh, Cam Curl, very good to see him back as well. Uh, looked good initially. Uh, kind of got banged up a little bit at some point. Uh, but, you know, I, I think overall, I, I think the secondary has showed some positive things. And if there's somebody I want to talk about and get your quick thoughts on before we go to the final numbers here, Jamin Davis getting two sacks in this matchup. Some people would say that this is fool's gold as well when you kind of talk about the context of both of the sacks. Uh, one of the, sna- uh, the sacks he got, I think he just touched Hurts as he slid down. And the second one was when he pretty much angled Hurts out of bounds. Obviously, a very tumultuous week or last couple of weeks for Jamin Davis, the former uh, first round draft pick from last year. Coach staff kind of calling him out. What did you make of his performance? Uh, you know, statistically, he seemed to be trending upward ever since they kind of just gave him the responsibility of just worrying about the quarterback where I feel like he was always going to thrive and do the best at anyway. Um, I, I would categorize it like this. Uh, it's always good, like, when you aren't like, noticeably bad on the on the TV copy like you aren't that bad and for Jamin um and also like a counter to what you said Parker think about the sack that got taken away was it against the Jacksonville game yeah Jacksonville week one one. yeah that's a good point so like uh it's a it's a give and take with that and and to be honest with you like if you look at the last last season I, I said this heading into the year when you look at the last last season sacks for Deron Payne he didn't make any of those plays. He didn't win any. He didn't beat any one-on-one situations. All four of those sacks that he had were by product, by product of somebody setting them up on a twist play, like John Allen, or uh, the the quarterback fell down and they attributed the sack to him because he touched them. All these things. So, all that to say about Jamin Davis's game, um, when you're looking at him and you're seeing how he plays from a a, a performance standpoint, uh, there are some really obvious plays in which you can say that you know a player played bad and for Jamin Davis I don't think that really happened to him last week I think they actually did a good job keeping them near the line of scrimmage um they didn't really did a and this is all me from the top of my head in terms of my memory of the game because I haven't looked at the defense but just understanding that they did a good job keeping them at the line of scrimmage for the most part and uh, anything in man coverage uh you know you got the running back <laughs> it, it is what it is so um I, I think that the way they they try to keep him 
near the line of scrimmage was good and uh, try to make have him make some plays in the box and on the perimeter uh, was really good. So him showing that athleticism, chasing down Jalen Hurts, I think that's a positive even heading into the next game. Um, obviously, you, you don't want to get smoked like that <laughs> at home against the Eagles, but, you know, it's a division game. So you'll have another shot at these guys. And for the defense that, that really showed up in that first game, uh, you know, fingers crossed because you never know what happens between now and the next time you play them. But fingers crossed you have that same unit, if not a more healthier unit, heading against the Philadelphia offense uh, next time. And, and, and even with Chase Young coming back, possibly now you're, you're talking about a, a front seven who, who can probably or possibly do even uh, better. And, and you're just hoping that the offense says, hey, man, we're going to help you out this time. So Jamin Davis, I, I don't I don't think he had a bad game. I think it was pretty quiet, but I think the quiet was was more good given the, the last two weeks that he had. Yeah, you know, good, healthy things are stable. And I feel like the last couple of weeks, Jamin Davis's play has been very stable. You, you know, not making many like super ridiculous highlight plays. But, you know, I feel like when you don't judge Jamin Davis off of his draft status, you do see a lot of things trending upward for him, especially the last couple of weeks. I like what I saw. I said on last week's episode, I like what I saw out of Detroit for him. I said that I really liked what, you know, I saw out of this game for the most part first watch through. Like you said, I haven't really watched all the snaps, but from what I saw out of Jamin, he seemed a lot more grounded and rooted in, in, in where he was supposed to be. He doesn't look as lost or confused, and he's finally being able to play a little bit more loose and rely on that freakish athletic ability that they did like coming out of Kentucky. So I definitely like what I saw out of Jamin in that regard. Do you have any closing thoughts to this? Like you want to say something for a second? Yeah, I was about to say the, the only thing that I would say is like the finally word. We we not out of the we not out of the woods yet with Jamie Davis. No, uh, we're I, not, I, and that, you know, I, no, we're not. <laughs> and the Far funny thing it. is, uh, even when I mentioned what I mentioned, I think that some of those bad plays popped up again for Cole Holcomb. Like I, I think that it I think that it did like on the game copy, and I can't wait to see what the defense looks like because I think Cole Holcomb is more of a growing problem than. Uh, in terms of linebackers, obviously Jamin has his struggles. He's he's second year in. Cole Holcomb is in his fourth year in his contract year, uh, and, 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 and really regressing. Um, he, in my Cole opinion, looks like he doesn't want to be there. Like I, there's thinking too a much deep rooted Cole Holcomb problem right now. Leading in tackles, don't let that fool anybody. It's just it, he made a good play with Shaka Tony to get to get that big stop in this game. I will say, but overall, from like a total like grand spectrum like outlook. Cole Holcomb has just been, I, I don't know what's going on with that guy. And that's something that I definitely want to dive into a little bit more uh, throughout the rest of the season, definitely in the coming weeks. Yeah. But I'm some final you. numbers here, Eagles, 400 total yards. Commanders finished 6-17 on third down, 9-3 sack difference. Jamie getting two of those. Cole led the team in tackles. But like I said, no more victories here. Commanders won a time of possession. Wentz goes 25-43 of 43 for 211 yards, zero touchdowns, zero interceptions. Philly, I mean, just master class performance for these guys. 22 or 35, 340 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. Hurts then goes 9 of 20 on the ground. I will say we did a really good job of keeping him contained in comparison to what we had years prior. Uh, you know, you had a lot of people take some pot shots at Carson and, and Jalen, kind of making those comparisons after this game. And I got to say, Jalen Hurts definitely looks like him throughout those first three weeks. Uh, Sanders <laughs> yeah. goes 15 for 46, 3.1 yards per carry. Pretty pretty reliable option of the backfield for them. Devontae Smith, 8 for 169, only 10 more yards in the second half. A.J. Brown, 5 for 85, 17 yards a catch. I mean, not a lot to be happy about here if you're a fan of the Burgundy and Gold. I, I saw one of those pictures of the Commanders fan uh, giving the team the the, the double birds that were going into the tunnel. And I think when David Mayo is like your best football player on the field any given Sunday, uh, you're going to have a long, long day. So this is definitely a performance that Washington, I feel like, does not need to forget. Ron Rivera needs to really compartmentalize 
because obviously I think there's a lot of bad things looming for this organization throughout the coaching staff. And, you know, you can blame it on the players all you want, but at the end of the day, you're the one making decisions here. And when you have that lack of talent on one side of the ball and you get what you pay for in a sense. And when you're paying for such a luxurious service and Carson Wentz, and he's doing all the things that led him to getting the public reception that he has, uh, it's just not a good look for the commanders for the rest of the year, but it is a very long season. And, you know, Michael Phillips from Richmond Time Dispatch said this organization, this team is completely capable of beating Cooper Rush and the Dallas Cowboys, and then their whole season's right in front of them. So that's definitely going to be interesting. I'm not going to bother you, Maul, by asking you which mascot you like. Uh, I think we've done a really good job of uh, kind of. I'm here for football, baby. I'm, we're here for football, baby. We're here to talk ball. We're here to talk X's and O's. And the state of the NFC East is certainly interesting. We got the Giants and Cowboys on Monday Night Football tonight. You know, this was the NFC East weekend. You know, best case scenario, us and another team came out of this weekend two and one. We got back back NFC East matchups taking on the Dallas Cowboys uh, this weekend. Uh, Dak did get his stitches removed, which is an interesting development. Short week for Dallas this weekend as well. And we don't play another NFC East game until you guessed it, the Philadelphia Eagles, seven weeks at the link. So hopefully this team does a lot of growing up between now and then. But unfortunately, that is all the time we have today here on our postgame podcast here on Sidelines Washington. Maul, obviously, man, it was awesome to have you come on and kind of share some of your knowledge about how you kind of thought about this loss. Because obviously, you're going to have a lot of people turning this stuff off at halftime, giving up on this team already. But I feel like there are a lot of things that they can hopefully turn around in, in, in good enough time to where we don't have to go on some late season winning streak and hopefully etch out seven wins and Ron's selling us another crock of crap. And like you said yourself, he puts his foot in his mouth a lot, but you always do a really good job of covering it all, man. It's always an honor to have you on the show. Please tell our listeners where they can find you. Well, I appreciate the kind words. Um, you know, I'm just a, another person, you know what I'm saying? Just, Doing the same work that we all do. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Let Maul Tell It, L E T M U A L Tell It, um, spelled regular. Um, I, a lot of people get confused with my name, and, and that's, you know, it's fair. Um, but, you know, Jamal is J A M U A L. It is what it is. But anyway, you can find me on Twitter <laughs> at Let Maul Tell It. <laughs> um, and all my work is there Hogs Haven, Trapper Dive Podcast, uh, the written work. The, the 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 podcast the the audio the video all that stuff is there on my my twitter that's where i do most of my uh content and content publishing and things like that so hey parker i appreciate it like i say anytime you want to chop it up we can do it uh, and appreciate you having me on as always man and, and don't forget to to mention the film breakdowns as well you always do a really good job of getting those out oh, pretty yeah, quick after game day so we can all find we can all visualize and, and see what we're mad about instead of just talking about it <laughs> but, yeah yeah uh, no, i'm gonna say always, this man, the yeah, sacks are up there too for everybody if you want to see six six sacks at least right now as, as the minute we're recording this go ahead take a look it's up there <laughs> it is up there let ball tell it as you heard him say trapper dive hogshaven it's all there for you to see it as far as everything for sidelines watching guys if you're listening to us in the audio realm or watch this on youtube click the description below you can find the link tree you can find us on all social media twitter silence underscore wft or even on tiktok people so check out the link tree obviously i'm the head of nfl operations if you're interested in joining one of the fastest rising sport networks on twitter sitting at 125k make sure you guys send me an email sidelines wft always looking for contributors but we will be back here in the next couple of days because it is dallas week and do we really want dallas we will get into it with a very special guest but until then this is the ssn signing off peace
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.